So uh, you currently join me in a sort of, I mean, you could call this an office, couldn't you? But well, you uh, have to. You could. <laughs> it's it's a. I mean, it's very, not it's not a ball pit. <laughs> it's a very small room with a lot of vinyl and a lot of CDs uh, and, and 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 some merch as well. Um, and cardboard. with me, as a lot of cardboard, my goodness me, uh, it's like a recycling factory of some sort. And um, with me, I'm actually in the Holy Raw offices down in Peckham. And with me, I have um, Alex Fitzpatrick, who... Hello. Who, hello, Alex, uh, who uh, founded the label 13, 12, 13 years ago. Yeah. Uh, nucleus of an idea, beginning of 2006, first release out July 2006. Oh, wow. Okay. So what does that... That's, I guess, 12 and a half? That's 12 and a half years. 12 and yeah, a half. Yeah, 12 yeah. and a half years ago. Yeah. And we also have Sam, who works for the label. Hello. How are you doing, Sam? Good. Good, good. good. Thank you. Uh, with your peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> That's a private What's jam. Oh, they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Renfrey, I'm, in your introduction, I'm really disappointed you didn't mention the Marilyn Manson and System of a Down poster. That is a very good point. We have um, I mean, Darren... just, just to destroy... I mean, the Jesus piece poster, maybe... <laughs> But uh, <laughs> yeah, our label image is kind of... Uh, Alex doesn't have one yet. No, I need a Slipknot poster. <laughs> no, it'd be corn, like, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. I'm not cool enough for Slipknot. It, it's inspiration, I'm not relevant it? enough for Slipknot. <laughs> um, so we have wanted to do this for a little while because we've basically considered Holy Raw um, at the pinnacle of... It's, it's, I suppose, in a sense... The lazy comparison would be kind of like the British Death Wish, in a sense. I know there are Death Wish, uh, Death Wish comparisons. And Just stuff rolling like. in the can. <laughs> That's not holy rule. <laughs> I know there are uh, Death Wish um, associations and so on and so forth. But there's that kind of. Uh, how does that make you feel? Is that a comfortable thing that you or? Uh, we've always benchmarked ourselves against them. Uh, no, no, we've always looked up to them. I always look. I've always looked up to them. Yeah they've always been like i mean obviously being american they've got such a they've got a bigger marketplace than us to start with you know if you if you think about the states as being like i don't know a bunch of the uk's all stitched together or whatever yeah pretty much. um so they have they have such a sort of vast geographic and sort of population that mostly speak english um so you know we've always i've always felt like we're behind them mm. And I've always looked up to them and we've always benchmarked ourselves against them. Um, uh, and uh, in fact, we do actually, me and Justine have this phrase, uh, which is like, what would Death Wish do? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So it's like yeah. WWDW question mark. And we literally just like, we write it as an acronym in like messaging internally here. Um, because it's like, yeah, they always do everything. They do everything so well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But... I actually, we do sort of, we ask, we talk about this like yeah. every now and again. And we we actually changed our Twitter uh, bio a few weeks ago to relapse with a dash of sub pop. Oh, right. Um, yeah. which, okay. which I kind of liked as well because, uh, well, you know, tongue in cheek, don't get yeah, me wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, because, you know, if you look at what relapse do these days and they've got like survive, yeah. you know, yeah. the synth pop guys synth pop inverted commas who did all the stuff with uh stranger things mm-hmm. yeah. they've got nothing <laughs> yeah and then they've got like pig destroyer you know um i feel like we have a sort of similar eclecticism to yes, yes. i mean i know <clears throat> relapse is way more rooted in extreme metal than we are don't get me wrong yeah yeah but i feel like their eclecticism now is uh 
you know, we're like that, but with much sort of softer, almost like India visual edges, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of our logo and maybe our merch and stuff like we're not, we're not a metal or hardcore label in terms of our logo or how we present ourselves as a brand. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, but, you know, yeah, we've always looked up to Deathwish, for sure. I feel like it's, um, I guess I make the comparison because it's a label that predominantly um, covers extreme forms of music, I shall say. Um, Although there's obviously, you do want to branch out beyond that, and I think we'll talk about that uh, later. But um, there's predominantly a lot of hardcore, post-hardcore sludge doom etc etc um but done with a massive amount of quality you have your own kurt Ballou in the form of lewis johns in a sense you know yeah. um so hence hence yeah. i'm not in a band with uh, lewis johns <laughs> <laughs> that's the one key difference that is the there. one key yeah. difference yeah. um so let's go right back to the beginning and, and i'll just ask you alex how how and why you formed the label back in uh 2006 i always I always feel like I have to answer this question like with a sort of like uh, a sort of like prehistory or a, yeah. a preface or something. Yeah, yeah, we've got time. In that um, when I got to uni in Birmingham when I was 18 years old, I grew up in the countryside, like mm-hmm. in Gloucestershire. Oh, and, as did I. you know, um, where? Uh, Thornbury, which is a small town outside Bristol. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I-, I was just like just up the road from Chepstow, oh, the no other way. side of the bridge. That would be yeah. not interesting at all for people, but that's interesting <laughs> for us. I, I don't live near Bristol or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, Sam. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, you know, maybe you can relate to this, but like, you know, I first had the internet at home when I was like 16. Yes. And in fact, I think I was 16 when we first got the internet. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was, I was that classic kid who read Kerrang! religiously, yes. devoured the free sampler CDs, even cassettes. Yes, yes. Um, VHS, one, occasionally. Yeah. Uh, you know, one, I bought one CD like a week or a month, depending on how old I was, whatever. Yep. Um, and I would when, rely when, upon... When one CD cost about fifteen ninety nine. Yeah. Which we yeah. go on about quite a lot on this <laughs> yeah. podcast, but yes, yes. So um, carry on. And, you know, it, obviously you relied upon Kerrang! and uh, Rock Sound and metal hammer to sort of almost guide you a lot more then to sort of shape your tastes yeah almost yeah, yeah so so what what the point i'm trying to make is i felt like i had such a sort of naive upbringing in that sense compared to a kid with broadband today that mm-hmm. when i got to university and i met loads more like-minded people i suddenly even though i was playing guitar as a teenager back in the edge of the forest of dean um I felt like when I got to university, it sort of like made me realise that there was other things I could do with music rather than simply sit there and listen to it whilst I played Tekken 2 or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I got to uni and I was like, it was like the floodgates opened and I formed a band and I started putting on gigs, first with local bands, and then that that grew. And, and then I met these two other people, um, Stephen and Xenia, and we did a music zine. Uh, called the communion or it was the communion.co.uk so this weird like religious thing has like floated through everything i've done right, <laughs> even though yeah. i'm not religious at all personally. yeah interesting um so and doing those gigs and you know we ended up putting on like himsa and throwdown and bleeding through and like loads of these like u.s hardcore bands zeo mark ray d 
Um, and this was all in Birmingham. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So we put on all these, and we put on like all these great local bands supporting them. And through that and the web scene, we we were like, ah, there's these local bands. We need to release them. So I started doing. We did a couple of three inch mini CDs for a couple of local bands, and then we did a compilation CD where we got our you know a bunch of bands locally that we loved and nationally and internationally pressed a thousand you know all chipped in no well we all chipped in but we also used the money we'd made off putting on some of the gigs yeah um and to be honest that was what gave me the bug for releasing music i was like oh shit there's like there's all these bands out there that i think are so good that i think everyone needs to hear them you know it was that kind of i don't know if that sounds a bit no 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 it's well i i can relate to that because part of what i part of how i feel about music journalism is you get excited about a band and then you want to tell everyone about it like your mate at school who just happens to have a really vast cd collection or whatever because they're rich or whatever you know you just you just go i need to tell you about this band is it that same kind of drive exactly the same because you know we started the web scene because we wanted to tell everyone about music we loved yeah and then we were putting on gigs because we wanted to see these bands in birmingham like throwdown yeah. who otherwise wouldn't have played uh, Birmingham yeah, yeah, if yeah. it wasn't for us and, and Darkest Hour. Um, and so we would put on these local bands that we believed in or loved because we wanted them to play in front of a bunch of people who would be coming to see Darkest Hour, for example. Uh, and then it was exactly the same. It was like, I want to release this bands cause the, these bands because I want people to hear how good this is and I want them to share the passion that I feel about these bands. So what was the process of going from having that desire to actually doing it? I mean, surely you have to have a little bit of I mean, money to start or what What? Uh, what did you do to what was Holy Raw 001, you know? What, yeah, what? yeah. So, I mean, you know, th- those little local releases and that compilation CD were just funded off like a few hundred quid from putting on these shows in Birmingham, these yeah. gigs. But then uh, at the end of 2005, uh, I'd been out of uni a year and a half at this point and I'd liked, I'd, I'd gone from one crappy job to another in Birmingham and realised that there wasn't, at least at that time, there wasn't really a sort of, uh, there, wasn't, there wasn't many jobs going for the things that I kind of thought I might want to do. So me and my girlfriend of the time moved to uh, London mm-hmm. um, and her dad had a flat in West Norwood. So he was like, you can live there as long as you cover the mortgage. And we okay. were like, OK, great. Because, um, you know, we both realised she she would obviously be closer to family. Um, and we realised that there would be more opportunities. Quite yeah. soon. You know, the classic, the yeah. classic story. Um, <clears throat> but when we got there, I, I ended up getting a job after a few months uh, as a media buyer which okay. is basically buying adver- well you know all about this yeah, yeah. um basically buying advertising space in in magazines and newspapers yep. um for Lloyd's TSB and people like this a 25 by 4 on page 17 mm-hmm. uh can i have this for 2000 mm-hmm. pounds yes is that color or black and white blah 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 mm. anyway it was so soul destroyingly boring and i hated <laughs> it and i just sat in front of spreadsheets sort of you know wasting millions of pounds for Lloyd's TSB yeah through the media agency I worked for, that I needed to be doing something else on the side to stop myself, like, going insane. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so basically we were like, ah, oh, you know, we, we carried on putting on gigs because it was just in our nature, but then... Uh, but, Ellen, now in, but now in London. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, 
but uh me and me and ellen that that was her name sorry who, who started holy roll with me ellen godwin um her dad said oh you know he kind of realized what we were doing or mm-hmm. through conversation realized what we were doing and he said he said oh would you like a, a you know a little bit of money as a loan to oh, to put on better higher production gigs yeah and we were like uh, don't really feel like I don't feel like I need money to put on gigs, but we'd love to actually, like, we've released a few little CDs and we want to do a record label. Great. So he gave us a loan of £8,000, which I suppose by today's value is probably more like 12, 13, 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Um, And that paid for our first three releases. Can I ask Um, what those were? Yeah, that was... uh, ko dot and bloody panda with a split 12 inch okay so that was kind of avant-garde doom loosely speaking yeah i will and, admit it's gone over my head i did not know the, about so those yeah. um, <laughs> the funny thing about this is the first three releases we did i feel still sum up big yeah. cornerstones of the label okay because they all 100%. came out within a month of each other okay so you had ko so dot and bloody panda doing weird doom weird doom you had phoenix bodies yep. who were like bratty grind punk right hardcore yeah okay that's one but of my favorite really, holy raw releases yeah like easily yeah, okay yeah, yeah still one of mine yeah and okay. then we had roller tomasi's debut ep of course or right. debut cd ep let's to yeah. be technical but everyone views it as their first ep yeah yeah um and then we promptly squandered half the money taking out half page adverts in rock sound and then realizing that advertising doesn't work at all <laughs> when you're a label with no track record and no one knows who the bands are <laughs> And that was 2006. <laughs> um, so how did you discover the best approach was to growing the label then, if it wasn't getting advertising out? How, you know, I'm assuming you it made... Took a very long time. <laughs> well, I, well, I was about to Solid say, 12 years. you know, I don't mean this in a disparaging way. I assume you made a bunch of mistakes along the way, but that's how you learn, yeah. you know. We made every mistake going. Yeah, okay. Like, you know, like I said, we squandered loads of money at the start. Yeah. We repaid that loan in full, by the way. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> even though we squandered all that money at the start. Um, and it took us another six months before we had enough money to release something again. Yikes. You okay. Know, which by today's standards is like monolithically slow. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so, I mean, that was a mistake. I mean, what, what mistake didn't we make? Like, <laughs> I think if you can think about it, we probably did it. Like, yeah. You know, <laughs> When Not, did, we didn't like I don't think we like messed anyone around too much or fucked anyone over. Yeah. But I do feel like if you can think of a mistake that a record label can make, I'm sure we did it. Made it somewhere <laughs> along the line. Yeah. yeah. Was there a um breakthrough moment then? Did you have a a initial breakthrough moment where maybe you felt ah maybe I am a proper label now or or, so, or something along those lines or uh, I don't know I, I feel like it's been so I hate it when people say oh it's been an organic process it's, but yeah, um, incremental it, process it's maybe. been so <laughs> slow and cumulative like you know Rolo Tomasi being one of our first ever releases and us ending up selling like 5,000 CDs yeah you know yeah. even though it was only an EP rather than an album yeah I mean that helped us yeah. that's what it ended up doing over a few years but um, that helped immeasurably yeah uh that ko dot bloody panda 12 inch because those were both sort of established within their world at the time you know we sold a few hundred 
the day we launched those pre-orders. And I suppose you could argue that I definitely had a bit of a sort of Phoenix Bodies was like my random, like no one knows who they are. Let's just try it. But I feel like there was always a little bit of a plan. You know, Roller Tomasi to me was actually the the complete wild card because they were British and unknown. Mm -hmm. But that gathered, obviously, you know that. Mm -hmm. Well, most people know their history and trajectory a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was always a bit of planning. And then, you know, the second three releases we did because we did two blocks of three to start god knows why or how you know i did a uk screamo band called chariots mm-hmm. a sort of techie widdly dillinger but gone crazy band called chronicles of adam west i and love then, chronicles of adam west yeah what a great band yeah but the Sorry. third one it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> uh, but the third one was gallows demo seven inch oh you cool. see and each time we did things it was like there was always like Let's be super risky here and let's do something where actually this might help us out generally as a label yeah, yeah, yeah. and help us out yeah. so that we don't have no money at all. And so you're risking it on three different releases at a time. Yeah, then. it was like, it yeah. was, I mean, you know, I said to Sam earlier today, I said, running a record label is like, is like betting on horses or yeah. spread betting on horses. You bet on three of them. And the the odds are going to be wildly different, but hopefully one of them will come as in. As long as one comes in, yeah, even yeah, a yeah. bit, even if it comes in third, and you've done a each way bet, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so sometimes you have kind of things that you passionately want to release, but you, in your heart of hearts, know it's probably not going to be massive, yeah, in in terms of um, returns, and you offset that by putting something else out, which you are relatively confident will have some kind of traction. Yeah, a little bit, but mm. then, but equally, all of those first six were all pure passion projects as well. Like, none of those were like, for example, that Gallo Seven Inch. I was like, I was a huge fan of the band at the time. There was nothing disingenuous about putting that out. No, um, no. and it also happened by a happy mistake. Mm. Well, mistake's the wrong word, but I mean that happened because I was selling a bunch of my t shirt, my band t shirts, as right. people kind of used to do more. Yeah. Um, on Punktastic's forum. Oh, right. And Lags from Gallows was like, oh, can I buy that Charles Bronson t-shirt from you? Oh, right. And I was like, oh, are you Lags from Gallows? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've just started a label. Can I, like, I was like, have you got anything I could release? It was literally like that. That's amazing. And he was like, actually, we really want to put out a demo because, like, Warner Brothers are sniffing around and we'd love to get it out on 7-inch before this deal with Warner's happens. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) I I wasn't going to say no, was I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. you know, like, yeah. lots of things happened like that. You know, like, like Roller Tomasi, um, that happened because they played their fourth ever gig in my front room in Birmingham. We used to put on house shows as yes, well. Yes, I've heard about these legendary um, house shows. Yeah. And that lineup, uh, Roller Tomasi played, I think November Coming Fire played, and uh, Bring Me the Horizon was supposed to play as well, but they broke down on the motorway from Shelf- Sheffield to Birmingham. Oh. Right, okay. And they literally just like texted me or rang me and just went, oh, sorry, we've broken down, we can't play. Okay. So it was supposed to be Bring Me Horizon and Rollers. Yeah, Massey. yeah, yeah. Wow. But, um, but yeah, what, what, what I'm saying is like, I think whilst we've all, whilst we have at least in the first, I'd say about eight years, the label, eight, nine years, there's always been these little pieces of, you know, there's been some thought process behind what we've done in terms of like right 
you know, if we put out this Touche Amore uh, European pressing of uh, one of their records before their European tour, that's going to help the profile of the label. Yeah. Yep. Equally, it's always been founded upon a love of the band. There's yeah. no, never been anything disingenuous okay. in terms of like the musical choices. Yeah. So it's been, it has been a combination of luck, horrendously stubborn determination, and uh, and then this sort of calculation. I hate that word, but calculation based, but still within the remit of, well, it has to be. It has to be something we love i have to do yeah. this with 100 percent integrity or i'm not doing it at all yeah yeah always yeah, yeah. that's always been the bottom line but let's say sam brings on something and goes i have found something which i really want to do but you alex don't like it or justine doesn't like it or, the, or how does that work like do does that ever happen yeah, yeah. right it does and 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 how do you work around that with holy raw do you have to have a consensus let's let i want to let sam answer this before me absolutely we get we get a lot through yeah and obviously very few things get sort of take on you know we take notice and then we'll pass it on to each other we listen to everything and we listen to a good yeah a good majority of the stuff we get through but um i mean when sam says good majority the only things we don't get don't get listened to there is because someone said i'm a rapper yeah, and yeah I, i'm a rapper from poland yeah, and it's completely yeah, or whatever yeah, and it's yeah. like even you know, you learn, there's that got, yeah. bit of filter but anything vaguely relevant yeah. we always listen to yeah, it yeah. you learn to to know pretty quickly if it's relevant or not yeah. but um for the most part you know we're sending each other stuff all the time and, and it'll be a very quick sort of yes or no and but i feel like generally we all have uh, there is a general consensus and we know what would work and what wouldn't and I feel like that's meant that there hasn't been anything that has been like, no, that's completely not something we can do. So most of the time it'll be like, yeah, sort of like it, but it's not, we're not 100%, if mm-hmm. that, you know, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there, I think generally we're all on the same page with a lot of um, potential new releases and stuff like that. But. But. <laughs> but. I felt like that wasn't quite finished. Yeah, yeah, go on. But. I uh, it probably it probably all fil- it probably filters through me as the final yeah yeah like if it was it, like I'm like the last if it if it doesn't reson- resonate with me mm. it doesn't mm. happen okay yeah um okay. Uh, uh, but but conversely if there's something that I'm really passionate about and someone else here isn't necessarily so into. I almost feel like it's my job to make them see why <laughs> I really like it at the bare minimum, even if they don't fully get on board. Yeah. I think what I'm saying here is basically like, there's still a little bit where it's like, it's it's kind of my musical vision, yeah. but coloured. But if my musical vision is a little bit sort of narrow, yeah. Justine and Sam and Will like add breadth and colour to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's very much we all have to be on board, but the final buck kind of stops with me as well because I've it's like I don't know a combination of experience and sort of kind of going. I feel like I I I kind of know when at this point after twelve years of just this label alone, like I kind of feel like I know when something's going to click or when 
when it's not mm, mm, yeah mm. i know this sounds really vague but it is really vague it's like no yeah it's, you know it's we not... get through like a bunch of sort of singer songwritery types yeah. and then sam showed me a.a williams and i was like within 30 seconds i was like there's something there yeah, yeah. and like we were we we talked about it for days and days and days yeah. amongst doing work um, <laughs> nothing else yeah because we had to figure out a path that would make sense for her yeah and for us yeah and we had to discuss that to see if it made sense because it was so it was like it was something different for us yeah yeah. I've jumped ahead here, but no, that's, I think yeah. it's a good example. That was a, that's a perfect example of like me hearing something and thinking, that's definitely something mm. that I can see Alex clicking with, basically. So that's the kind of general consensus thing I was talking about with certain things that come through, and it's like, oh yeah, that's definitely something I can see being put out. And I think by the time people hear this most people won't i don't think that aa williams ep will be out but to give people an there idea is, there is at least two songs out there though. okay yeah. so okay. Yeah, yeah. so it's um very dark very atmospheric um a lot of reverb um mm. emma ruth rundle-esque little bit of chelsea wolf is, is, is but the maybe warfare. a bit more stripped back and a bit more sort of classic yep as well yep 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 there's parts of the EP that reminds me of if anyone's listened to Moon Picks by Cat Power there's yes. bits of it the very yes. tenderness um, yeah. in the instrumentation and stuff like mm, that it's yeah. far more like that to me yeah. but I think if you're going to like compare to contemporaries mm. Emma Ruth Rundle and Chelsea Wolfe are pretty and, and, and Mar- Marissa Nadler as well yeah, 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 yeah. Very, it's yeah. that style of thing and there's a kind of darkness to it isn't yeah. it I suppose yeah. that's where the holy raw yeah yeah, I mean that feels fair, it, it feels metal adjacent. Yeah, I agree. Basically, I agree. I mean, Metal Hammer I will, will cover Emma Ruth Rundle. I'm yeah. sure they'll I'm cover sure A. They Williams. Yeah. You know, there are other recent examples. I feel um, just before we started, we were talking a little bit about Slow Crush, mm. and I feel like Slow Crush are a band that maybe five years ago might not have. And correct me if you feel I'm wrong. Five years ago, I'm not sure Slow Crush would have worked on Hurley Raw. I think people are tuning in more now to the the differences displayed by Holy Raw than they used to. Yes. Because let's not forget that very early on, 2007 or eight, we released Dan and Aykroyd. Right? I didn't know that. Wow. So okay. we did their debut EP, Sissy Hits. Uh, I mean, we did Cutting Pink with Knives back then as well. Okay. Um, which is sort of, you know, your synthy, poppy, screamo-y, yeah. grindcore, which is really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had, like, Youths, who were just a, basically a straight-up post-punk band. Okay. Uh, and then, obviously, Brontide came into the fray at the end of 2007, 2008 as well. Yeah. So Great post-rock I, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, don't get me wrong, post-rock is still definitely sort of an outsider thing, mm. apart from maybe Mogwai and Sigaross. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But that more indie fuzzy strain has been there since Dan Aykroyd and just because we don't touch on it regularly doesn't mean it hasn't always been part of our DNA mm. it seems to make more sense with where the label's at now though yeah. yeah so has that ever been a source of frustration because if you'd asked me five years ago I would have said oh holy raw they're that 
really heavy label and all of my associations with Roly uh, Roly Raw Roly Raw Holy Raw there's an idea a tie-in <laughs> idea uh, all of my associations with Holy Raw would have been with heavy bands whether that would have annoyed you or not um, that is becoming less the case as time goes on is that something that you've had to battle against and is that how does that is that irritating is it just what it, how it is is it you know uh, we there, there was periods where we painted ourselves into certain corners due to the bands that were prominent at the time. So, for example, we had a we had a really uh, a we had a f- phase of maybe a year or two where you would say the the most dominant bands on Holy Roar in quick succession were Hang the Bastard, mm. Brutality Will Prevail, mm. Last Witness, and Throats. Right now, I mean that that was bordering on being a modern straight up hardcore label. Yeah, yeah. and we did Abolition, probably not far apart from those as well. Um, and you know, the label is always sort of guided by where I'm at in my life musically as well. Mm. And mm. I was probably having more of a hardcore phase or whatever. Mm. But the other things have always been there. Mm. I think it's just in terms of maybe how we're presenting ourselves and i think the i think the breadth of variety is becoming rather than it be like hardcore hardcore post-rock hardcore 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 indie now it's like hardcore post-rock singer songwriter sludgy doomy band yeah you know it's like the the i think it's what i'm trying to say is like there'll be the variety of styles is more consistent. It's more consistently varied now. Mm. Whereas back then, know, yeah. there might there was probably Dan and Aykroyd in use, but then there might be like four or five heavy releases between them. Mm. Whereas mm. now it's like, I mean, what's been what's been our last few months? We've done so last was we've done Burning Vow, which Burning was Vow. Sludgy Doom. Yeah, yep. and then we had before that Portrayal of Guilt, Screamo Band, and yeah, Ohms yeah. in the same month, which are two completely different. Ohms things. is like Doom, yeah. yeah, especially that record. There's far more like. Pine Almost. with post rock before that, yeah. and yeah. then slow crush with your shoegaze grunge before that. Yeah, so we there's there's like, you know, obviously to my nan they're probably all still the same, <laughs> but but to you or I, each month is distinctly different from the last yes. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we probably seem more varied than we used to, even though those different musical styles were always part of our DNA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We release yeah. what we like and what we want to release. Yeah, and if it's that. five hardcore records in a row, if it's five singer songwriters in a row literally don't care yeah okay like if if it's good like if if something comes into our laps that's good enough i mean don't get me wrong we can't release a drum and bass ragger record next (laughs) month right there's obviously some kind of really weird loose barriers or limitations yeah yeah yeah. but i you know i I, if we did a whole post-rock year I, i i i wouldn't care yeah like yeah. And, and then if people go oh they're that post-rock label i'll just like and then we release some sort of brutal grindcore record yeah. next then that's just what's going to happen yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That we, we're not despite me saying we've, there's been a history where we've gone oh if we release that it might help the image of the label by you know touche mori fans hearing about holy raw there's never ever any kind of musical genre consideration yeah. calculated <clears throat> consideration in in this office yeah. There's no like, you know, we obviously we want our bands to be able to possibly play shows with each other because it's great for everybody. Yeah. And it's great for them to hopefully get along with each other and yeah. stuff as well. Yeah. 
and become friends but you know but we're even making that work now like with like A.A. Williams playing Roadburn on the same bill on the same day as Secret Cutter Mm. who are a like sludge grindcore band Mm. Mm. and they'll talk and I'm sure they'll get along and find a common ground Mm. because there's just this thread of the label and you know, I like that it's arrived at that point. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but there's no, there's no, there's no grand master plan of where we're heading musically, other than I'm 35, mm. and when I started the label, I was 23. Mm. So it's, you know, maybe that's why more doom and people like A.A. Williams, singer songwriter, are creeping in now because yeah, that's of reflective course. of where I'm mm. at in my life. Yeah, and I would rather retain that honesty and integrity to myself and to Holy Raw rather than go wear, a, wear my baseball cap sideways and go, hey kids, listen to this new Vane rip-off band because I'd look like a twat. <laughs> right? You know, it's like, and it's disingenuous. It's like, I'm not Scott Vogel. Yeah, 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 yeah. No yeah. offence, Scott. <laughs> I, I, I mean, felt like you were going to add something. No, to I was going to say, I mean, if you look at the start of next year, it's A. Williams first and then Ithaca. So yeah, very I think, different I think that just about sums it up, to yeah. be honest. Like, yeah. they feel hand-in-hand hand because it's sort of all binded by the holy raw name. Yeah. But fundamentally is vastly different I agree. to each other. And, and both brilliant releases as well, yeah. but both very, yeah. very different. And that's it, they're both great records, and yeah. that's fundamentally it. That's why it gets put out. Do you have a way that you can word what a holy raw band is, or a sentence, or...? <laughs> encroaching darkness <laughs> <laughs> I don't know um, I would say as an outsider that 2018 has easily been Hurley Raw's best year personally yeah. how do you feel about that yeah. yes but it was funny at the end of 2017 people were like this was Hurley Raw's best year and yeah. then we were like let's just shit that out of the water so yeah last year I would say our major things would, were uh, Brutality Will Prevail Ohms Employed to Serve Helpless did Helpless was Helpless. a surprising Helpless, yeah. big one, I think. Uh, so yeah, that, those were the ones really, I suppose. Miners right at the end of the year, but the ones that you know peaked above the peaked above the precipice were probably brutality of prevail. Ohms employed to serve those three. Yeah, but then this year, you know, uh, you've had Conjurer, Roller Tomasi, Moll, Boss, Keloid, Gargantua, Svalbard. Secret Cutter, Talons, Modern Rituals, Slow Crush, Pine, Ohms, Portrayal of Guilt, and yeah, that's that's the one. Yeah. So it's it's pretty. It has been really wild. Okay, I've, let's let's just go through a couple of these because um, there's some massive ones in there. I mean, let's start Conjurer first because that was pretty near the beginning of the year, wasn't it? Um, um, those boys need to pipe down on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm what? looking at you, Birdley. <laughs> Sorry, his name's Brady. His name's Brady. Yeah. Bard? Bard. Just Bard. We we've, have... we've sent so many parcels to him where we just write his name different on every single parcel. <laughs> we actually have a bit of a running joke where we just mock Brady on this podcast. I don't know why, but we it's just because do. he's like he loves it. He's like the nicest person in the world. <laughs> he wants you to do it. But he's like he's like self-effacingly cocky. <laughs> He's like the most humble, cocky little twat <laughs> or something. It's... I'm glad you said it. Um, uh, but, but the Condra release... He calls me dad and he's like, <laughs> he says, I look up to you because I just want to be a right dick like you are. I'm like, fuck off. 
They use the Carly Rae Jepsen album cover on their latest. I've seen that. UK That's quite funny. Are you, are you looking forward to getting sued for that? Or <laughs> is that like, I think we would have been sued for a bunch of other stuff yeah. by, by this point. Um, the Conjurer was the was the Conjurer release a surprise for you? Because I will say this: I heard I heard and loved the EP. Um, but for me, and I've said this to the Conjure guys, so it's not revealing anything that I haven't before, but I, it felt to me like a massive leap forward. Uh, and I think a lot of other people were stunned at Maya when they first heard it. You're, the face you're pulling, Alex, is you weren't <laughs> surprised at all. I wasn't, I really wasn't. Right, Like, if you look at Employed to Serve's EP mm. to their first album, yeah, yeah. like... If you look at Rolo Tomasi from mm. EP to album, mm. like, look at Throats, mm-hmm. like, yeah. you know, their early material to their record they did before they split up. Um, there's a bunch of bands mm. where we've, like, the EP's been good and then the album's been They're really good. Yeah, yeah. And I feel, I just felt like they followed that same trajectory, yeah, that same fair. path. So, I don't know. I think sometimes I understand why, like, just someone in the public who just likes a band might go wow such a huge jump but because we've done it a bunch of times with a bunch of bands, i feel like sometimes you get a kernel mm. and maybe it's from seeing them live as well and seeing what they're working on and music because they're, they're not just going to play three four songs live exactly yeah. um you get an idea of like where they're going to head mm. or you're like there's a there's a little seed of there's greatness yeah, in there yeah. not mm. greatness mm. is probably a bit but you know what i mean like there's a seed of something super fucking good in there I think we always kind of felt that when um, I came out, or one, is it one or I? I don't know. Line. (laughs) Line. When Line came out. EP1. We always felt like the EP's good, but live it's where it's at with Condra. We didn't ever feel like it properly, um, I'm saying we, just the royal we in terms of journalists. (laughs) (laughs) But like, it... um, uh, didn't capture how brilliant they were live and then and then Maya really really did like in, a, in an yeah. exceptional yeah. way um, but that's done enormously well I think a release that's gone not under the radar but one which hasn't hit in the same way maybe because it's a bit it's so esoteric and uh, odd I'd like to talk about Boss Keloid because Melted on the Inch is just one of the weirdest yeah. proggiest oddest. I, I had to think long and hard about releasing that okay can I ask why then because I felt I felt that uh, that was pushing the boundaries of what Holy Raw was. In what sense? Because I, I got I they sent they sent it over. They'd been talking to me since their previous album, mm. um, and I, we I was like, "There's something here." But can you like? I, they'd already released their previous album at this point, and I I was like, "Yeah, this is good." But just I just I said, "Look, stay in touch." I could see that they had their heads screwed on. Yep. They were working hard. They knew what they were doing. They yep. were playing good shows. Just keep in touch. Come back to me when you're working on a new record. And then literally sent me that. And I was like, this is fucking weird. Mm, it like, is weird, isn't it? Like, and the first few <laughs> listens, I was like, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to lie. First listen, I was like, I don't know if this is like maybe a bit funny or a bit too weird yeah i don't i really don't want to use the word wacky because it's not but it's teetering on the edge of like that sort of that sort of phantom ass or you know that's a really bad example because they sound nothing like phantom ass but phantom ass sound really really weird bordering on sort of like 
um, eraser head sort of, yes. you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. where it's funny, Lynch, but you yeah. don't know you can't laugh at the same yeah. time. Yeah. I feel the same about Melted on the Inch. Yeah. It's like, it's just so weird. I was like, I, but then I, I played it on my stereo at home and I was like, but it sounds, it's incredible. And I, after about two listens or three listens, I said to Justin, I was like, I think I really like it. And then the next listen, I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, there's so many layers to it. And the artwork sums it up so well. Because yeah, it it's so bizarre. You don't know what you're looking at, but it's so beautiful. It's so intricate. Mm. But there's still something slightly unsettling about it. Even the title is like funny but unsettling melted on the inch or is that well it's apparently it's about the perfect thickness of cheese that you should put on your toast so (laughs) when you have when you have cheese on toast you get the perfect cheese on toast (laughs) that is actually what it's about so you can see like you it just sounds like this cool weird almost film referencing kind of title or something but that's what it means right (laughs) okay Um, so that's funny yeah but it's also so weird that, like, if you don't tell anybody, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. I think they're one of the most um, uh, it's unique, right? They've, they've, they have a very unique sound. Yeah. They've become really unique. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, it's, but like, I find them extremely hard to give reference points. Yes, to yes. anybody who, especially the new mm. one, because the the previous two, I think, sound really different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this one's like I never really know what to tell mm. people. I just tell them to listen to it because it's. I know really what you mean. Good. Like I either feel some days I'm like it's like the weirder parts of Faith No More if they became a sludge band. That's not bad. And then the other side of me is like it's American trucker rock. <laughs> if it was for like super weird like Dungeons and Dragons Games Workshop geeks who love 24-sided dice. <laughs> who, like, that sounds... Who wouldn't like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know how you guys don't compete with the majors with releases like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> they, they're just so nonsensical. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, they're incredible to work with, though. Yeah. Like, again, they just, they're so... They're so down to earth and so on it. So switched yeah. on, yeah. 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 They've been that they've been awesome. I'm so and now, even though I said I sat there and I was like, I don't know if this is a holy roar, this is is this too weird? Now to me, they are like they're almost like bang centre of what I think I want us to be or what we are. Because they've they got that like real sta- link to ohms and slab dragger. Yeah, I like was a gonna staple say. piece. Yeah. 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 Just almost just off that first one. It's like, that's it. They're, you know, because standard Holy Raw. Yeah. Stuff, yeah. You know, because I mean, you know, if now I always like in my head with various Holy Raw bands, I always like placing them between each other in my head in some sort of like weird Venish diagram. Yeah. Yeah. And so to me, you've got, you know, you've got Ohms or Conjurers sitting here on, on the left hand side, let's say. And then on the right-hand side, you've got Roller Tomasi. And then maybe Bosquiloid is somewhere in the middle. Mm, yeah. in a mm. weird, but, but not sounding like any of those. But mm. they have got that sort of, you know, stonery sludginess yep. of your slab draggers and stuff like that. But then there is that weird off-kilter, where's this song going to go that yep. Roller Tomasi have? Yeah, definitely. And so that they, you know, you could argue that they're, then they're somewhere between all of those. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Um, 
let's do something a bit different how about secret cutter i feel like secret cutter uh i i wish i'd seen it in a lot more uh lists and stuff but it, it that that it's band, too harrowing it's, it's, yeah, it's quite it's, it's quite brutal, little, isn't it yeah wet flannels yeah. making their lists <laughs> and they can't cope with secret can't cutter include secret, secret we cutter. loved it we thought it was amazing this secret cutter record um but uh quantum eraser isn't it yeah yeah, right. yeah yeah i've got i feel like i've got a bit of, you know i'm sure most people it's not hard for many people to work this out a bit of a contrary streak okay last year we released a record by an australian band called uh idols yes but it's not like current height not the it's Bristol not spelt idols. the same as that yeah. band yeah, yeah yeah um the australian idols is uh i-d-y-l-l-l-s yeah that album it's quite daughters-esque i would say do you think that's way more sort of like jazzy scronky a lot more avant-garde mental way more art obviously art schooly yeah yeah i almost got that on the independent you know that would be sweet i feel like i have to release one middle finger record every year and Idols was, was 2017. Yeah. Like, Secret Cutter to me is just like, all right, yeah, you 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 love, like, a bit of Aftermath by Rhoda Tomasi. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ooh, you think you're heavy with Employed Serve? Fuck on this, you little fuck. <laughs> like, this is fucking harrowing. Yeah. yeah. Deal with yeah. this. Really? Like, oh, Holy Rose getting soft. Well, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You have to remind them nasty. every now and then. Yeah. 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 And like, don't get me wrong, again, I stand by it 100%. I bloody love it's it. Brilliant. Yeah. But it's like... I, I love doing, I love trying to use Holy Roar as a platform once in a while just to like make people shit themselves. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Holy Roar finding the brown Pine. note since 2006. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Pine. Uh, one of my favourites, one of my favourite bands on the rec- on the label. Um, I have adored them since the EP. Um, tell me about, tell me about Pine. I mean, the collective, really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, we, we, I saw them recently um, when they supported Venart in London. As, that was the first time, yeah. yeah. And that was the first time they all played as a mm. six. I think it was a six. Yeah. Piece. So that was first time in a long time. First time in a long time. Mm. Um, which was truly incredible, and it like they were brilliant. Yeah. You know, amazing. Reaffirmed how massive the record sounds, and they're so expansive. A, they've got so, so they have like. Uh, not hurdy gurdy. What's the what's the thing that lap steel hurdy gurdy? What am I talking about? Can we talk about hurdy gurdy? <laughs> well, we can if you want. I mean, I might cut it, but we can. <laughs> no, no, you don't want to cut this. <laughs> okay, right. Come. So there's a um, my street. I live on a cul-de-sac, but it's yeah. like all old houses. It's a bit weird, and there's there's a for some reason it's become like this enclave of like weird people with interesting jobs and lives and stuff. Okay. Now, amongst them, because I don't want this to, this side story to go on for too long, <laughs> but the hurdy-gurdy from Pine, a.k.a. Lapsteel. Now, the guy, <laughs> there's a guy who lives opposite me, um, and he plays the hurdy-gurdy. Right. And he is, he is the pretty much the UK's premier rock hurdy-gurdy player. He has toured, he toured the world for three years with Jimmy Page uh, and Robert Plant. Because they had, a, they needed, a, they were doing like a sort of a, a record of like classical and medieval sounding music. Right. Uh, this is probably going back like 10, 15 years or something. And it wasn't it no quarter, that, was it? I don't know. Maybe. No, okay. Yeah. Sorry. But, sorry. but um, he was about to like hang up his hurdy gurdy for good, <laughs> but he left his business card in a rehearsal room 
Robert Plant and Jimmy Page were rehearsing in the same place like the following week, saw his card, rang him and went, we need a hurdy-gurdy player for our world tour. Would you like to come and audition for it? So he did it for two years and he used the money that he earned from that to buy the house that is opposite me. That's amazing. Wow. So any aspiring rock stars, just hang up the guitar and pick up the hurdy-gurdy. Well, let's be honest, your competition's a lot lower if you play the (laughs) hurdy-gurdy. But he was like, oh, yeah, because we have an annual summer barbecue on this this little road, street party, and they close the street and stuff. And he was there, he sat there, and he said to me, yeah, it's pretty, it was pretty weird. He goes, I played Rock in Rio in Brazil to 100,000 people, and there's a hurdy-gurdy solo as part of the set every night. Wow. Oh, my God. That's I'm amazing. Like, I'm like, this is really fucking weird, but this is sick. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, I know. Wow. Okay. So, um, so Pine. So Pine, so pine yeah. yeah. <laughs> pine don't have hurdy-gurdy in them. They do have lap steel guitar. Lap steel guitar, cello, violin, violin. now. Yep. Um, really massive, expansive post metal and I, I described them before i still i'm too proud of this cult of luna meets god godspeedy black emperor i think yeah. that's relatively accurate i'd that's say that i feel like there's like i'd say it would be 25 or 20 percent of the post metal cult of luna thing yeah mm-hmm. i think they're like way more a post-rock band but with a bit of oomph yeah yeah a bit of energy rather than a post-metal band with like more expansive leanings mm. Yeah. very dynamic really beautiful record i love the way it's called loss and that is exactly what it's about i love the way that they involved the general public by uh um asking for their stories of loss and etc yeah, yeah, yeah. putting them onto the record and there's even kind of like phone answer messages and things like that mm. on the it's, yeah. it's it's just a really beautiful album actually um but we were happy with how that came out and the pine stuff yeah 100%. yeah yeah i mean yeah. you know joe Joe is almost, uh, he's a bit of a Lewis Johns. Joe, yeah. who plays guitar and, you know, writes the bones of the riffs yeah. and stuff, generally speaking. Um, he runs no studio in Manchester. Manchester. And then he used to be in a band called Old Skin. Yes. So, very different proposition, Old Skin, isn't it? Very way different. more almost crusty trap them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, nails, but with like breather resist twiddly riffs. Yeah. Um, but that's how I know him because, like, my old band played with Old Skin a few times, and I got to know him through that. And then him recording some of our bands, and we were supposed to release some Old Skin stuff on right. Holy Raw, but then they split up. Right. So then he was like, "Oh, I've, I'm doing this." Cool. You know, so that's how it came about. Nice. Okay. He was like, "I've got this EP," and we we're like, "Okay, um, great." EP. And we just because you know, I sounds really sounds weird, but I, I when after Brontide split up even though, again, they're way more sort of syncopated, mathy, layered. I felt like there was, like, a hole. Yeah. And I feel like Pine... They're obviously completely different to Bronte, but at the same time, there's this sort of... There was this sort of instrumental-ish void, and I felt like Pine could go on to become, like, our next brontide i'd love to but obviously that. they're comp- yeah, their own different. thing yeah, yeah, yeah. they are they? very different to brontide brontide are kind of um i guess mathier and uh the sort of doomier elements in pine but yeah i see what you mean in terms of filling that post rock vibe uh hole well actually let's let's go into this a little bit actually because you do have a uh uh long-standing relationship with big scary monsters um i am charles xavier <laughs> 
to his <laughs> magneto. To his magneto. <laughs> to Kevin's magneto. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm the bald one. I'm how, a bit crippled. I'm, I'm kind of curious. Like this will be a bit of a sub. Uh, uh, just going off on, on one a little bit. But how did that? relationship with kev from uh big scary monsters start because big scary monsters and holy raw uh on the outside are quite different band uh bands quite different labels yeah but there has been bands that have been released on both on both what was that sort of heavy post-rock band they released like last year or the year before from america and it had like a black cover with the weird oh, feathers caspian caspian yeah, yeah, yeah see now caspian to me i was like I was so jealous about them releasing Caspian because I was I really loved we me and Justine both loved that record. It's one yeah, of my favourite records. And I was like this I wish that had been on Holy Raw. Mm. Like mm. I I was and I was like, I think it's even more Holy Raw than But it works entirely on both labels. It does work I, on both. But I was like, yeah. ah. Mm. So I feel like there has been a bunch of releases that BSM have done. Uh, and equally I reckon BSM earlier on could have done Rolla Tomasi. Yeah, I agree. You know, like, yeah, they definitely. seem to really... They would have worked there as well. Yeah. I mean, because they're doing, like, Meet Me in St. Louis and stuff, and I can see a little, like, yeah. Tomasi link yeah, exactly. there and stuff like that. So. But yeah, it is It is funny. Like, we get on... I think we get on, like, a house on fire every time we see each other. And, you know, I, I, have, I have endless huge respect for Kev mm. and, and what he's done with BSM and, mm. like... His label is, like, I perceive his label as huge mm, now. Mm. And, like, you know, it's just like, oh, we're releasing the new American football record. Yeah. We're releasing Minds the Bear. I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, this is crazy. Like, to me, it's wild. It's wicked. And, like, you know, he has kind of... But it's definitely a different... Not just musically. He's, his label is on a different trajectory in terms of he licenses a lot of records from America. Yeah. Whereas we seem to have just, like... We seem to, like, grow bands more obviously from maybe the word go or the ground up yes in a lot of cases not always like you know obviously talons talons ported over to holy raw yeah from bsm but um i think that's generally fair though i think that's a generally fair thing to say they, they yeah they, i mean don't, he does loads of uk bands and stuff as yeah, well yeah, but yeah. like there's definitely like a steady stream of sort of u.s licenses mm. um that we we've done a couple we've done a few i mean we've done like make do amend and Touche More, like I've said before, and Trash Talk and mm. stuff. But mm. that seems to be in our past a little bit more, maybe. Mm. Mm. Um, but then, you know, the, the the flip side of all of this is that, you know, I'm sure he can't stand loads of, like, our stupid T-shirts, or <laughs> I'm sure he can't stand, like, how brutal we think we are or something <laughs> or he probably perceives it as being like we're super brutal yeah everything's brutal <laughs> uh, and then i perceive all of his i perceive i like sometimes like i see a bandy signed and i'm like that band's name is atrocious <laughs> like why do why are they why do they look like that why why are they called like i mean i'm not going to pick on any of the bands here but some of the some of the recent band names i've just been like that's just a it's like a bad joke yeah like, <laughs> And I, I think he would, whilst we probably run our labels in similar-ish ways, yeah. there's a bunch of stuff I do that he would never do. Yeah. He would not touch with a barge pole. And likewise, there's a load of stuff that he works with and a load of ways that they present themselves as a label. And I'm like, you twee bastards. <laughs> like, it's just like, it makes me feel sick because I'm like, I'm like, I grew up on Fear Factory and Sepultura. What is this bullshit? Right. <laughs> 
And he grew up on, I suppose, like Hell is for Heroes and Ruben, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I loved Hell is for Heroes at uni, yeah, yeah, yeah. don't get me wrong. But yeah. there's just like, we. I think we have, we're, we're, we're really good friends and we have respect for each other's work. But there's a really good reason that both Holy Raw yeah. and BSM exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and we yeah. never became like one super label or something like this. It's yeah. because we do such different things yeah now. yeah yeah but yeah. a similar ethos maybe uh, i yeah, think the yeah. things that you said about it's about the people and about I, I feel like that would be the same with kev as I well i think it's I great that they're, they're both um such you know main pillars of like independent you know uk music yeah and they're both so different yeah yeah um definitely you know helps for mutual respect yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah we don't we don't tread on each other's toes no, much these days no you know which is really nice it's like we've both we've really found our our groove and our our own identities and no one ever confuses the labels anymore because mm. there was probably a period of time where you know where we you know we did like make do amend and uh, Rolo Tomasi and stuff, and I'm sure there was there were there, there. I remember there being times where people said, "Oh, this is on BSM and it was on Holy Raw," right. or "This is on Holy Raw and it was on BSM." Mm-hmm. That never happens anymore. Yeah, but that yeah. definitely used to happen. Mm, interesting. Um, it's nice, but I mean, you know, I don't really. How many other independent labels, loosely under the barrier under the banner of rock, have come up like those two labels? in the last mm. 10 years in the UK. I mean, there's, yeah. is yeah, there any others? There isn't... I, can't, I don't know any... With that level of consistency and drive and, like, releasing a lot of music. There's, you know, I think Blood and Biscuits is, you know, Simon Morley's label, who've done Sleep Party People, Gallops, Three Trap Tigers, and a couple of others. I th- yeah. You know, I think his quality is absolutely yeah. second to none. Like, yeah. like, that label is incredible. Yeah. Three Trap Tigers are one of the best fans ever yeah um but he doesn't release much and it's not his day job yeah you know so so in terms of like super visible labels that have a really sort of have an an, uh, again under the loose rock banner yeah having an identity and a personality that people can latch onto that have been really consistent i mean i i possibly make a case that there's not many others than I'm struggling to think of it. Yeah. yeah, I think Venn Records are doing lots of good things. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're getting better they're and better in my book. Yeah. But Venn are. But then that feels f- again like it's more about. I mean, you know, they. I, I'd happy. Uh, please, if they want to correct me, by all means. Mm. But my perception is that they're much more about letting an EP or a song speak volumes for that band mm. rather than them have a really strong label identity Mm-mm. so i mean you know the question still stands and i, I mean i'm not saying this to be like holy roar and bsm are the greatest labels in uk <laughs> rock right now i'm genuinely asking the question well who else is there that's yeah. got an identity and has been this consistent We'll ask people to, if you can get... I'd really be interested. I want to know who people think. Yeah, get in touch with us at RiotAct underscore podcast on Twitter or uh, what's the Holy Raw... Holy Raw Records. Holy Raw Records. um, Because, uh, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, You were going to say something, Sam? No, I was just going to say, I I try to stay um, keyed into lots of, like, specifically UK independent stuff, like the Dog Nights and Venn and stuff like that. Yeah. It's easier for Sam because he's 23. (laughs) Apparently. Um... (laughs) But uh, yeah, I feel like there, there, there isn't anything with Venice. Maybe as an exception, there's yeah. nothing like 
showing itself to have an identity. Yeah. If that makes yeah. sense. Obviously, as we've said before, it takes a long time to grow it to that point. So yeah. maybe in five, ten years' time, there will be another one. But at the but, moment, but then, you know. I, 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 I agree. Yeah. But at the same time, I'd also argue... I would never in my I would never even if I was 21 or 23 now or whatever I would never start a record label now. Why is that? Cuz it's like it just seems so hard. <laughs> <laughs> like starting from scratch now. I mean we started obviously we started from scratch in 2006 but like people bought Rolo Tomasi CDs and you know I don't know how you would start from scratch and and help a band gain like a decent amount of traction yeah. and following mm. now from scratch but then people still ask me and loads of uni students still ask me and i'm like if you have to i would work with one or two bands that you really know and really believe in and just absolutely annoy people until they start listening to you if but please try and be objective and realize if the band is actually up to the standards that you believe they are or not like yeah. objectivity is yeah. is probably everything but i would i would say it would be you know i oh the streaming's a big thing as well like you know we've got this like foothold as some kind of gatekeeper of or you know or a, a you know we're, we're like a funnel and people can go oh i know i'll go and check out holy raw bands because i know they'll be good mm. or they or they, there'll be something interesting for me there. yeah um but if you, I can't imagine starting today without having that. Like, how how would you start today in this sort of streaming SoundCloud Bandcamp culture and build an identity now mm. for a record label? Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd say that's like a way harder task than it was ten years ago. Does that come purely down to the? financials from the point of view that um you know streaming you get a very 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 small amount uh back all about your feelings (laughs) (laughs) back from that and um you know you if you if you buy an lp from a band or buy a cd from a band or merch or whatever they get a lot more back from that is that purely the reason you're saying that or are there other factors that come into it as well i don't know it's it's tough Mm. because like the looking from like if i was going to start one now Mm. um it's both difficult but you've also got all the tools of online and Bandcamp and stream like they they can be tools at your disposal but it also means it's totally saturated so it's finding the balance between utilizing that stuff properly and engaging people to buy stuff physically which is yeah it's it's i think it's that saturation that means like you know you need these people that act like a funnel and as a gatekeeper Mm. You know, and I I can't imagine trying to build up to being one of those now, mm. fighting against that huge tide of music constantly. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I just I just have this perception that it, it would be really hard mm. now, but it might be because I've st- I own and run another business that feels easier, mm. Mm. and now I'm like. Well, I wouldn't start a record label now, even if I wanted to. Yeah, I don't mean this like in a no. negative way because what we've built with Holy Raw has been, is is and has been incredible, and we're here, and we're here for the foreseeable future. Like mm. I want to be like, 
I want to be like Sub Pop and I want to be celebrating 25 years and 30 years. Yeah. Like, we want to be there and we want to be that. Mm. I don't know what the future holds, but that's what we want to do. So I don't want this to just sound negative. Mm. I'm just saying I can't believe how incredibly hard I think it would be to start today. But obviously people... I mean, I think part of the reason for putting out something like this is to sort of encourage people to start yeah. a label and and I, I i don't want you to now skew your narrative to to fit what i've just said but um uh it is interesting you saying that because i've kind of always you know so alex was referring to the fact that i've been wanging on about how much i streaming culture yeah. annoys me these days because uh it doesn't really give very much financial financials back to the band effectively it's very very it sounds odd when you go on about how it's difficult being in a band because i guess the outsider perspective is like oh you just go on tour with your mates and it's just a laugh and like blah 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 (laughs) to an extent of course to an extent as long as you've got a job to come home to yeah but that's 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 the thing if you're in a band now it's 99 percent likely that you will have to have a full-time job to go home to as well and that is going to allow you to go out and tour and all yeah, this yeah. kind of thing and um you know people can put poor all they want but being in a band is really tough and, and, and working and working out uh a way to actually earn money as well and that is because of the way that the music industry has changed over 10 15 years with the you know with the, the internet opening up with piracy blah 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 um but it is difficult i mean yeah it is very difficult to know how to how to uh sort that problem out and i can't um, for my money streaming is clearly the future in some way but i feel like we just need to get a model where bands are getting more rather than some middleman in the middle aka apple music or spotify yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. who has nothing to do with the creation of the music itself has nothing to do with um it's basically just a distribu- distributor well i mean the key difference there between like you know because you look at netflix right mm. and you go there's absolute shit tons of money being pumped into stranger things or whatever which yeah. is a weird you know it looks on paper when you looked at the beginning of series one a weird niche thing yeah right? yeah yeah shit tons of money pumped into it wildly successful billboards everywhere everyone's made shit tons of money off it right and the difference there between let's just say film or the visual medium because it's tv technically um and music is that netflix is the equivalent of apple or spotify right so really spotify and apple should be giving money to bands to put them into the studio yes or giving or or you know giving that going like right here's 10 grand to record i'm you know i'm just pulling figures out my hypothesis yeah yeah. but here's 10 grand to go and record the album and here's 20 grand as tour support for the next two years um and then you know and then on top of that there'll be you know the 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 money is split x y and z a bit like a regular record label contract Mm, mm. and then they they've got the power then um i'm not saying this is a good thing Mm. necessarily but this is a more workable way Mm. in the future somehow then they they could then be the people who then can actually push that music into in front of an audience in the way that netflix can Mm. so netflix can you know put 
Stranger Things on new releases on your or recommended for you on Netflix and they know that a certain number of people are going to watch it between that and then yeah. a marketing plot and whatever. Yeah. Why why has no technology company rather than just sitting there going fuck you record labels fuck you bands why has no technology company enabled things for music in that same way because they're sitting there making so much money yeah you know and yet they keep claiming they're not Uh, are you talking about netflix now spotify i'd say no spotify and apple music must you know to say that they're not making money is is either creative cayman island accounting yes or it's disingenuous yeah i I have to say that's my hunch i agree with you i do agree with you so they're the people who should actually be putting money into the into music in order to help it grow and to become and to continue to be a sustainable career now in the same way that netflix has not destroyed the film industry and has not just in my perception i I don't i'm not in the film world or the tv world i don't i'm not as i don't know the ins and outs and the deeper and i'm sure there's shit tons of stuff wrong with those worlds as Mm, well mm. but no one over there is saying oh Netflix has killed TV programs. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But people I've, are saying streaming for music is making it harder for a band to make a living and making it harder for the label to make money and pay the artists. Like, you know, we get, you know, Rolla Tomasi streaming, you know, a million streams, their new album. Everyone's going, they must be doing fucking well. It's like, uh, how much money do you think that converts to? Mm, like, yeah. and, and are we or the band seeing the lion's share of it? No. Mm, mm those streaming platforms are seeing the, sh- the lion's share of it, so they should be reinvesting in the music. Yeah. I don't think... I, I hope I'm not revealing um, too much to say that all members of Rose Massey have full-time jobs and all that kind of thing. That's correct. Yeah, so, you know... I think we've had one band ever actually on Holy Roll rather than a licence that could, I think, have gone full-time or bordering on full-time with their band, but they even then they were still, oh, I, we like our jobs too much. Mm-hmm. Because they all had pretty cool jobs, to be fair, um, the, and that they didn't want to take a pay cut to go and do their band full time. Yeah. I don't think I'm like, and that's more than life, by the way. I don't right. think that. I don't think that's sort of saying anything I shouldn't say. Yeah, no. yeah. yeah. I think I was just going to add to what Alex was saying. Um, if you look at streaming, like a one of the major changes in music consumption in the music industry over yeah, the last which is a, which it yeah. undoubtedly yeah, is yeah. yeah I think they, the next thing has to be like a label aspect yeah on yeah. their part otherwise yeah. nothing's going to change yeah um, and that's pretty much it really like, otherwise you know it's going to it's just going to constantly be that huge gap between the labels growing bands and then not making any money off streaming or anything like that I think I saw the other day that Incendiary like got like three million streams or something like that and that's a band that plays maybe I don't know, maximum 10 times a year, maybe less. And it's like, that's again, goes back to the fact that, that, that they're not making any money off that. No. Um, no. So, yeah. Streaming figures to... are an interesting one though, aren't they? Because, I mean, he, there's a broad thing to say. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, you know, three million streams, right? One kid sits there and listens to that album three times in one day. Yeah. So let's say there's 10 songs to that album, that's 30 streams. If he listens to that album 10 times that week, you know, that's 100 streams. So what? I mean... How many people is that, actually? Do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I'm no, saying, I mean. like, you know, three million is a big number. Mm, mm. But if you start dividing it by just, like, some the average 
21 or 18 year olds you know if it's your favorite band how many time many streams are you going to clock up for that one band per year yeah. And then how many people does it actually take to reach three million? Yeah. It's probably not, not very really many. that many, yeah, yeah, relatively yeah. speaking. That, yeah, accounts to if they buy the record physically or whatever, that's one copy. Yeah. So it's like, it's not going to translate over very well to actual tangible sales, I guess. I think, yeah, I mean, is- look, 1,000 people streaming a band 100 times. Yeah. And that's, what what's that, 100,000? Is it? Yes. yes. Yeah. I didn't realise there were going to be maths. No, sorry, sorry, maths sorry but that, that's 100,000 streams there. Yeah, yeah. And then, so you'd argue that you'd have more than 100 streams for one person. Yeah, yeah. So 1,000 people making a good crack of it could definitely rack up a million streams. Yeah. And yeah, And that's fuck all. When Spotify put these out it it feels like it's all like saying spot you know the year in numbers and all this sort of thing it feels like it's an argument to kind of say here we are we are supporting bands because look at the amount of streams that look at the amount of stuff that they've got and but they're just not in the way that like netflix are obviously shoving loads of you know netflix are shoving shit tons of money into an actor's hand yeah and a production company's hand to make stuff yeah i don't see any I don't see any real level. There probably is some, don't get me wrong. I don't see you know, where they might sponsor a festival or whatever, Spotify or I don't know. Um, there's no real f- flow back of you know, resources in the same way that there is with something like Netflix. So yeah. that's where it's wrong Yeah, in my book. Yeah, yeah. So that's why it's broken. But... Also- so I'm, I'm almost like saying, well, there's no need for labels, just get... Just get Spotify to give loads of money to bands. <laughs> yeah, it's like, but I mean, yeah. but that that would be a far more positive way for it to go than where it is now, wouldn't yeah. it? it? Yeah, that's be- a, that's a far more workable model. Yeah. But why doesn't Spotify identify, you know, a hundred really great independent labels with solid catalogs that are racking up a steady amount of streams? This is where I come into the picture. Um, <laughs> And go, hey guys, you know, we we want to, we can definitely increase the amount of revenue coming towards us with these things because we've identified this band is doing quite well or whatever. So here's some money, you know, in exchange for it being exclusively on Spotify for, for one month. Here, you, here's the late, here's like, you, all we want is receipts showing that you paid for Rolo Tomasi's album recording. And then we get that album for a month, it's like a bit like how there is programs exclusively on Netflix, yeah, you yeah, know, or yeah. exclusively on Amazon Prime, yeah. And you just go, we want this exclusive. You, you can still go and make a limited run of a thousand vinyl because that's completely different and yep. it's not affecting us whatsoever because it's not. You can even have the digital on Spotify whilst the vinyl is being made, potentially. Yeah, you know, which yeah, yeah, yeah. Could yeah, yeah. potentially help out everyone. You yeah, know. and you go, but guys, so here's here's. 10 grand to go and record the album and then we'll you know we'll make sure we playlist it a load so it benefits us as well um and then we've got the record exclusively on spotify and i bet you a shit ton of labels would snap at the opportunity to do something like that yeah if i could just say to my band i can actually i can support you you know even just to make touring and recording easier more than we currently can yeah all you have to do is all we have to do is say that for digital it's only on Spotify and nowhere else. 
I'd be like, you all right? Yeah. And that's because that's the same thing as Netflix again. And I don't yeah. understand. It's hardly like I've just come up with some revolutionary concept. Why is no one in the music industry gone? Like, why are people not sitting there with Spotify and going, have you thought about this? Mm, mm. You know, beyond, say, Kanye West having it exclusively on Tidal or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, things that are completely out of the realm. Why not look at the majority of the record industry, the music industry, rather than just, like, Taylor Swift and Kanye West? Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Uh, that, that sounds like a really good idea. But please yeah. form labels, guys. Um, that would yeah. be great. Yeah. Um, but you, but the, the, but you know, they people, kids could still, like, they could find, you know, they could prove themselves as being someone who can find a nurture talent. Yeah, yeah. And then if they knew that there was a label department at Spotify where they can literally pitch to them, look, guys, I've got this absolutely killer band or this killer artist can you can you give us some money and then we'll give it exclusively to you and then we literally grow this artist in partnership yeah, yeah. that's the way for a new generation of labels to actually grow and make an identify identity for themselves whilst actually like embracing where we're at technologically yeah, and, and embracing yeah. a new way to do to do record labels as yeah. well because no one's saying let's go back to cds or dat or no, whatever yeah there's a place yeah, yeah. for all of that of course yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah um and then they you know they can start doing that on the side and that'll be yeah. that'll be an aspect of their business that maybe spotify wouldn't touch yeah or apple music or title or whoever or yeah. deezer or yeah you yeah, know yeah but then you go to them and go, look, guys, yeah, this is the label department of Spotify. And in the same way that maybe like a TV production company goes to Netflix and goes, give us a load of money and we'll put it on Netflix. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it's a very good idea. I'm going to send this chunk to Spotify. <laughs> well, you know, if anyone if anyone actually listens to your thing on, <laughs> yeah. from Spotify... I'm, I'm, all, I'm all up for it. Talk to me. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not saying I'm like... I've got some revolutionary idea here, but you know, it's not, yeah. I think it could be it's, it's something that could work yeah. for everybody. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Talk to labels, talk to bands. Don't just be like, you know, I, we don't know anybody at Apple music. Right. We barely know anybody at Spotify. Well, actually, we know one person at Apple music and one at Spotify. Yeah, right. But it's like this, like weird, invisible fortress where they don't want you to know who they are. Yeah, and 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 the reason for that is because they don't want to have the accountability mm. because they know how they're fucking us all over. Yeah, in terms of record labels and the artist. Whereas if they if they were like, this is the label department, where oh you know, and then maybe they have another avenue where they literally sign artists themselves, and then they employ. You know, why yeah, don't why yeah. can't they act more as a a, a re, you know, rather than just being a technology company, be a company that actually care about the industry that they're providing a service for. I think this is the thing that annoys me the most about Spotify. They, uh, I, I keep saying Spotify, and really it is all of them, but I'm only saying Spotify because they're the big one. Yeah. Um, uh, they keep this, they have this pretense of saying that they love music and they're all for music, and there are undoubtedly people who work at Spotify who do genuinely love music. I'm and not indoctrinated, uh, <laughs> but the truth is, is they are a, like you've just said, they're a technology company. They're not really a music company. Uh, yeah. uh, that's how I feel anyway, and they keep putting out these things like 
the the year in stats and all that kind of thing to to give this idea that they're a music company and they love yeah. music and blah blah blah. And but paying I, attention to your needs. to you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I I don't buy it personally. And and no, it's all I, algorithms. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's technology. It's, yeah, it's tech stuff. It's you know, it's not. That's what they are. Yeah, so they're they're not going to open their doors and start publicly relating with labels and becoming part of the industry at large because they know they can hold what they've got now yeah yeah but if they took on this idea of being more label like more like a label then they would prove that they were more musically come on they must be able to afford to like let's just say they go you know what right let's let's try this as an experiment for two years and they employ three people who know something about rock and metal Mm. three people who know something about hip-hop and r&b and three people who know something about pop and indie mm. right and they go right you know so what's that 12 people whatever mm. a couple hundred grand a year let's just say for the sake of argument um or quarter of a million for for apple music is probably Small hopefully a drop, a drop in the ocean yeah you know considering they're the first one trillion dollar <laughs> company in the world or whatever yeah. Yeah. um and they go right you know what you've got to do is you've got to go and literally sub- directly support x number of artists and let's see if we can grow them and see if it works both for us and how much bigger those artists get or the labels they work with mm. you know a mixture of everything i've just said what why why and the reason is is because it's probably like that's a massive outlay and we're just creaming it as it is so why change whereas yeah. really if they did change that they'd be looking at growing the music industry for the long term you know and then you know you would have more bands that would potentially get bigger and become festival headliners and it would actually grow the music industry in other ways which will then give the, grow will get them more money yeah. because it's a more long-term view but that's that's the problem it's, it's a lot it's the long game and most businesses look more short-term don't they i suppose but yeah but that's yeah. that's where everything from business to politics to, yeah, yeah. to whatever else is a bit fucked really isn't yeah. it yeah because we're so hyper everything now you know that it's it's having this effect yeah that we're you know from like i said from politics to business to music you know this short termism because we need this constant stimulation and something new and fresh is yeah. is leading to things breaking down and not being as good as they could or should be i think all right i think it would be remiss not to mention um a couple more holy raw releases from this year so let's start with mole from denmark um Um, how did you discover those guys so a guy who used to work at our distributors Mm -hmm. a total band camp fiend Mm -hmm. He just literally emailed me one day out of the blue going, I think you'll really like these guys. And he was Merle. Merle. Um, and I really, I did really like it. He was yeah. totally correct. And so well, these, tweet- these are the EPs, right? Yeah, it was the second EP, I think. Amazing EPs. Um, It'd be really good if they were being re-released at some point. That might happen. Oh, wow. Cool. Maybe. That'd be good. Yeah, you just have to have a l- keep your eyes peeled on Holy Raw 2019. <laughs> um, but yeah, I tweeted, about, I tweeted about this EP. And I was like, this is amazing. I didn't get any tweet back from the band or anything like that. And then literally two years later, they emailed me. The band emailed me and went, oh, uh, we saw that you liked our band on Twitter and we've done an album. And I was like, yeah, I want to hear this. Yeah. And it was obviously totally amazing. 
Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you know, I've never put a Holy Raw release in my albums, the year list. Right. Just as a point of principle. Yeah. But I've broken my own rule this year Ooh. and put the Merle one in it just because I still feel like more people need to hear how amazing that record is. Yeah. And because it's still, even though I've been listening to it all year, um, still makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up with certain songs. Um, and like- I do, I'm not saying that I think it's the best thing Holy Raw's ever released. Mm. There's mm. just something about it that I feel is, a, it feels like a little moment. Yeah. And I feel like I still need to keep telling people yeah. about that album. Yeah. I think songs like uh, Bruma and Penumbra and... Um, and the title track. The title I mean. track. Yeah, are just my favourite as well. Yeah. yeah it's kind of... Um, it's come at a very good time. Obviously, Black Gaze is a thing right now, uh, which I don't mind at all. I fucking love Black Gaze, so it doesn't really bother me. But it's such a perfect dis- distillation. In, you know, Death Heaven... To, are in my opinion brilliant and but they take like 11 minutes to get to a point and mo can do the same thing and take you through the same uh feelings and emotions in about five yeah. and i think to be able to do that on a debut album is amazing they're like more overtly catchy without yes. being like sonically poppier yeah structurally more poppy yeah but without being sonically poppier um, and I, I think there's probably, whilst uh, Deaf Heaven have continued to gain new fans in differing non-metal realms, yeah. I think there's a, a portion of Deaf Heaven's fans who pro- have probably started to feel a bit uh, like it's not the Deaf Heaven now that they really liked on Sunbather, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Steve, my co-host, argues that the new Death Heaven album isn't even a metal album. Yeah, it's it's almost not. It's mm, got yeah, it's some... got metal screaming, mm, mm, mm. Um, and there's a there's one song with some blast beats. Yeah, yep. basically, Glint, some very indie kind of solos and stuff in there. Which it's very yeah, major it, key, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it opens with like a you know piano yeah. ballad kind of song, yeah. which is yeah. definitely different. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but I think Moll are almost like what a chunk of people who liked Sunbather and stuff wanted next, maybe. Mm. Having said this, I do think Mal Mull have you have entirely the, have their own identity within this I sphere agree. of combining black metal with shoegazy post rocky sounds and textures. Mm. I definitely I think they've they've got their own take on it. Mm. It's just, and it is a lazy comparison, the Deaf Heaven thing, perhaps. Yeah. But yeah. at the same I, time, well, it's like... Bad. I did that, but... Oh, it's fine. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> but at the same time, you, you, they're, they're definitely a different thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's good that they're European and, you know, I think, Scan- I think them being from Scandinavia really fits the vibe of the music and the band, especially to people from Britain and maybe maybe some other more Southern European countries, you know. Um, I, I'm not. I don't know where I'm really going with this. It's just. It's just like that. You know, everything about them, like the you know, geographical location, the distillation of that genre's sound, mm. uh, the artwork, and how they present themselves. Yep. Um, it just. It kind of felt like you know, in a sea of amazing music this this year, they felt like for a certain style, the right band at the right time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know i believe i still feel like they should be bigger <laughs> i agree yeah, i agree wholeheartedly i believe 
Uh, it was my favourite debut album of the year. I think it was number six off the top of my head in my top ten. Oh. And I think that was the highest debut album of the year. So, um, yeah, if you've not checked out that Mole record, then sort, sort yourself out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you hate screaming, the instrumental version's out there on streaming and download services as well. I yeah. mentioned this myself, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and actually the instrumental version's beautiful. Like, yeah. really yeah, yeah. fantastic. I um, mean, I've got members of my family into the instrumental version. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think I I don't I, I always feel like a lot most of my family are not like huge they're not metal or they're not like huge music nuts certainly not my mum and dad and stuff and uh, they're often like a really good litmus test mm, mm. in in some ways for things like that or if I want to show them things you know I have to I have to put it in a framework or a context context mm. that is more graspable for them. Mm. Um, and that record stood up for yeah for my dad. That's awesome in its instrumental form, for example. Mm. So you know it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I feel we have to talk about uh, Rolo Tomasi, um, partly because Holy Raw have been there. Um, you know, sort of more or less from the beginning. The, the, there was a brief period in the middle where Holy Raw weren't there, but then came back for grievances, um, and. Um, I think my thing that I constantly go on about with Rolo Tomasi now is it feels like everyone has finally realised that Rolo Tomasi are a great band. And uh, my frustration has I've been I've known like, it for 12 <laughs> years. Well, my, 13 years. <laughs> my, my frustration is that I, I've, I've been bang, banging the Rolo drum for as long as I have had a voice in music journalism, which is probably about six or seven. Um and I've been really frustrated that people have gone, oh, Rolo Tomasi got good. And I've like, got! <laughs> They've always been good. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been really annoyed about it. Um, as someone who's like been there, you know, from the beginning, in and out, is that something that you've kind of felt as well or perceived or do you care or... Yeah, I, I, I care deeply. <laughs> so, um, I did. That was a bad way to uh, word no, no, it. No, I, I get what you, you mean, but at the same time, it's like you know, I still <laughs> deeply, deeply care about that band. Um, and like I said, they played the. I said earlier on, they played their fourth ever show in my front room in Birmingham. Um, Eva was fourteen at the time. Fucking hell! To give yeah. you context, it's like. And now I look at you know you meet a fourteen year old today. No disrespect to any fourteen year olds listening to this <laughs> yep. podcast. Yeah. Um, and you're like. Fuck me! I can't believe Eva was doing that back yeah, then. It's at insane. That age. Yeah, um, and it's even more insane that she and James are still doing it despite all the different, all the changes you go through from the age of fourteen, fifteen, sixteen through to twenty-eight to thirty, and still have that singular musical vision. I, I, I'm just flabbergasted. It's incredible. It's such yeah. a such an achievement mm. in itself. Mm. But I don't. I like <sighs> grievances did re- did well. Mm. you know it was like yeah. that that record did really well and you know um when they released that record uh they, they did four release shows in four nights in london in in small venues don't get me wrong but they were all sold out yeah um, i was at the black heart yeah and, you know, yeah but that was still a decent number of people over four yeah. nights oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah i'm sure there was people that went to all four but yeah um so it just feels like it feels like someone was like stood at a dam with a pickaxe and they'd with grievances there was these cracks that they'd done and there was like little 
bits of water like mm. getting through the dam mm. and now it feels like big chunks of that dam have started to break down yeah yeah and like and we we've had lots of people get in touch with us or we just see on social media and stuff who've just sort of said it just finally clicked for me yeah. there was something where and you know i don't really think the band have like simplified their music or anything nope. but there must be there must just be something and I, where it's just hit a tipping point yeah. I have a theory, um, which I've um I have actually talked about on this podcast before, so I won't talk about it too much. But um most Tomasi records um start very abruptly and are straight in, you know, estranged. Um it's just like scream yeah. straight away. Hysterics, there's a little nice intro, but you know, it goes mental pretty quickly. Cosmology. I don't know. The first song is "Oh Hello Ghost." Yeah, but you know, and that's like it's still it's still quite bonkers quite quickly. Yeah, yeah. Time will die. Takes you by the hand and kind of leads you in over ten minutes over this and beautiful then pushes, you off and then pushes you off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but I I my theory, uh, it's also an amazing record, potentially their best. I think I slightly slightly prefer Grievances, but but you know it, it's a strong it's it, it is by far easily one of their best records as well. But I wonder if that's part of the reason why people latched yeah. onto it. I don't Maybe, know. Yeah. I get what you're saying, but then um, having said that, Aftermath wasn't the first song that people heard off the record. That's true. So it was uh, Rituals. Yeah. Rituals, yeah, it was. Yeah. And I was kind of in two minds about whether the Rituals should have been the first song people heard. And people went, "What?" the reaction for Rituals was was really, really yeah. strong. Like, I thought it was, it was way stronger than I thought it would be because I was like, it's coming back with an outright heavy track yeah. and that that doesn't really sum up the breadth of what this record achieves absolutely not no and it's a side of roller that people are more familiar with mm, mm. you know the you know even though then it was like a more um, not straightforward heaviness but it was a really it was like quite a direct punishing heaviness rather than an angular heaviness yeah. on rituals i still thought oh you know Eek. Mm, mm, um, mm. But people got it right from that song. And then mm. Aftermath was like, that was like laying a shit ton of bricks. And then Aftermath was like the cement in between all of those bricks. Mm. And then people were just like, you know. And, that, and then interestingly, um, the Scala headline show a month or so ago, yeah. whatever it was now, mm. you know, tellingly, Towards the, they'd put Aftermath towards the end of the set rather than early on in the set like they had been doing earlier on in this album cycle. Mm. And everyone was singing along with yep. Aftermath yeah. now. Yep. And I was like, to be, to be blunt and to be brutally honest, I was like, that's the song. I've been telling you to write at least just one song that was just singing and no screaming for 10 years. <laughs> Look! <laughs> I was right. You know, was I'm not right on. Yeah, you know, I probably sound in this podcast like I think I'm right about everything. <laughs> I'm not. I'm grossly wrong about lots of things, and I'm a complete idiot. But on this one thing, right? I've been telling them to write a song with just just do one song that just sings, yeah. and like yeah. you'll get way more people on board for all the heavy shit as well. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think that it might have finally twigged with them. Yeah, maybe. Think, I'm yeah, not saying you have to. Comp- yeah, they've was. had singing in their stuff. Yeah. since like the first ep yeah right yeah but to have that one song or two songs where it's just like that is yeah. not compromising their identity because they've already always had the singing yeah so why not push that element 
like they finally have on this album. And I really, truly hope that they carry on pushing their boundaries, both melodically, epically, Mm. heaviness, maybe even like, you know, I'd like personally, and this is not me trying to be some Simon Cowell of obscure (laughs) hardcore, I'd really like to see them like do something on the next record that was acoustic Mm. or was just synths and electronic drums or, you know, again, like, why why can't they just they can do what they want now so yeah, just just fucking do it for yeah. a band that seemed limitless to start with yeah it's quite impressive that they've further expanded like, even yeah, yeah, yeah. further it's, it's pretty insane it's, it's crazy um i also believe james told me oh god a while ago now he sent you some early demos alex and um said uh, just asked for some feedback and you um said something about um people love it when you're epic to do more epic so i believe you're partly responsible for there being three big epics on the time will die record i don't know if you remember that you're pulling a face like you don't remember that but, <laughs> i don't but, remember but james, james did I, say I, that i so. say lots of stupid things to james um he, he will probably say i think i yeah i i think it was i think i it was it was that was part of it what i personally remember when he did send over four or five songs was i was like you've got that fucking massive epic, you've got this epic journey song, do more of that. Mm. You've got this song that's starting to sound more poppy, do more of that. Okay. And you've got this super brutal black metal riff that you've sent me that then goes into something else. Why doesn't that song just be like heavy as shit all the way through? Like, I'm like, don't be afraid. Like, whilst everyone's always known Rolo to have like a song that has a spazzy riff, a singing section, a super brutal section, back to a singing section, back to a spazzy. What you know? Who's to say you can't be a band that doesn't that always has all those things? But you know, you can almost like you can hone a song and an idea around elements of your sound, and I think you can carry on doing that, and you can carry on pushing the parameters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, if I indirectly had any influence whatsoever, then that's wonderful. But you know, he, all credit, hundred percent yeah. credit to them for you know yeah. what, what they what they wrote and what they've achieved on this record. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not in, in suggesting you wrote the record or anything. Else. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've I've only ever written one riff for any of our bands, and it was for Throats. Oh right, okay. Because yeah, they hadn't finished a song for a split they did with the network. Right. And I went with them to the studio. I had to drop them off or some shit because they were unorganised little tykes at the time and they'd be the first to admit it. And they hadn't finished this song and they were practising it and they were like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, why don't you do it like this? Nice. So that's my only <laughs> writing claim to fame Never. in Holy Rose Catalog. I'm, um, sure sh- I'm sure Monty Connor has like written a few oh, Monty passages Connor. in his Monty time. Monty Connor wrote Roots, man, you know, so yeah. everyone knows that. Um, uh, God, that's a joke for people in 1996. Um, I feel like a nice place to finish this would just be to, I hope this isn't cruel, and I sort of feel like you've done a little bit, Alex, already, so if this is too cruel, we can just cut this. But um, I just wanted to ask you your personal favourite Holy Raw Records of the year. Is it cruel to pick out a specific band? Uh, <laughs> that uh, sounded no, like it no. was. <laughs> I'll let Sam go first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know. I think there's going to be stuff that we personally listen to more than yeah. others, etc. I don't know. My mine's probably um, it's a toss-up. Like in terms of my two of my favourites, it would be the Portrayal of Guilt, mm. Let Pain Be Your Guide mm. album, or 
that's an album for nihilists yeah 100 um, <laughs> yeah or, or keloids melted on the inch yeah and that's going back to what, what alex said about when we first listened to that record and it being super weird yeah like portrayal of guilt is definitely more my kind of taste and boss keloid isn't and that it caught me in a way that i never thought something like that could yeah so yeah that's definitely up there yeah yeah, they're both brilliant albums. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Boss Keloid yeah. was towards the beginning of the year. Portrayal of Guilt has sort of just come out, or less, November, hasn't it? yeah, sort of yeah. mid-November. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, really. I noticed that got into, was it Vice's albums of the yeah. year? Noisy. Noises, Noisy, yeah. that's yeah, yeah. right. Along with Svalbard as well. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, really but, good. I think it's because it's such a, um, I feel like hardcore, if you're going to, you know, umbrella term, mm. uh, is in such a... I don't know. I, th- I think it's in a really good place at the moment, and it's because of bands like that. And well, you mean creatively? Creatively, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's because of bands like that, because of bands like Gouge Away in the States, and like, who are just, uh, there seems to be less of that kind of, it needs to be this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the Trader Girl record is such a mix of like, there's some screamo bits, um, Dylan from Full of Hell is on it. Yeah. There's like post-punky bits as well. Yeah. Um, I think it's just a good representation of a genre that's becoming more interesting, I think. It is a really nasty record, but then yeah. at the same time, like you're saying, it is very um, broad. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's yeah, surprisingly yeah. broad, considering yeah. how sonically Yeah, um, and it's very short it runtime. <laughs> I mean, it's that very short runtime, and it's just like yeah. balance the harsher bits with some genuinely sort of melodic-y kind of bits that are there very briefly and give you a taster and then hit you over the head again. Like yeah. it's, it's very, very well written. Yeah. Um, and definitely worth a front to back. Definitely, you know, it's yeah. about twenty five minutes, yeah, isn't it? Like that. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah. It's pretty short. I think America's like I. I'm the last person to say America does it better than us, right? Mm. But modern hardcore and where weird bits of strains of hardcore are going and and peaking above, like like I said, pushing into the mainstream. America is doing hardcore better at the moment, yeah, with is the it? exception of Employed to Serve. Mm. Um, just personally mm. and renounced mm. I think as well over here yeah. are a good example um, but like you look at America over the last few years and uh, you know Turnstile Code Orange Vane for those Ruffles. who like that area yeah. um, I am one of those people um, <laughs> and you know Portrayal of Guilt Gouge mm. Away mm. you know it's so varied and it keeps treading new ground yep um, and I, yeah I think it's I think it's uh, an interesting place at the moment yeah you know no I, mean? I agree yeah. i agree um so what about yours alex i, I my feeling is it's going to be mole just based on what yeah, you said earlier yeah it is um Mool. because it feels i mean it's i, I th- it's it's musically everything i, I it's a it's a big it, it combines things musically that for me i've been yearning for for a long mm. time mm. it's got super super intensity uh it's got it, but it's really beautiful and it's got really really catchy bits without compromising how heavy it is at time mm, yeah. and it's also got so many when when you listen to it on headphones especially um not due to how it was mixed or recorded but there's so many details in their playing um and yeah. there's just like there's like one bit like I, and this is so nerdy but like the first riff in Jord the title track at the end of the record when they come back to the opening riff they just put in this triplet with the drum where the drums and the guitars like syncopate into each other just once in the second time they play the opening riff when they come back to it 
it's just those little details that for me are just like just yeah. uh, just it's, like musical little musical orgasms yeah it's little <laughs> details like that that give records longevity I yeah, think. yeah definitely. because you and might... I love coming back to it and just sort of almost like playing along with it in my head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You might not hear that the first time around. You exactly. might not hear it the tenth time around. Little Easter eggs. Yeah, little Easter it. eggs. Yeah, but yeah. I like musical orgasms. That's good. Yeah. Um, but like you know, it, it might might be the fiftieth time you hear it. But that's the whole. That's that's. I think those are the different. That's the difference between good records and great records. Yeah, yeah. I think often, not yeah. always, but often. Um, but yeah, there's 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 other factors in in my love for that record as well. Um, I I am it's really sad to say, but you know I I am a fully subscribed fan of Copenhagen, Denmark. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. as in I go there far too much. Yeah, yeah. like not it's just I've been once and I really liked it. <laughs> like I'm next level sad about. So i don't know i there's something i have this constant fascination with their culture and the and elements of their music and the people who are doing it really well anyway um that has fed into it mm. but the re the crowning glory other than the you know the music being horrendously catchy summing up a big part of my musical taste and all those details i was talking about um i feel like it this was just this summed up holy raw in the sense that we we found a band that had done relatively speaking nothing and mm. no one knew about yeah and we took them and we worked our fucking asses off um and literally just like almost like virtually knocked on everyone's doors until they listened to it yeah yeah until everyone or the supposed media gatekeepers listened a bit realized it was amazing and then told everyone mm. and it seems to still now be having this like trickle down or trickle up effect yeah, where yeah. people are still noticing it and you know and it was the first record of ours that i can remember maybe ever definitely in a long time where we would go on instagram and it'd be like oh the guys from gajira are listening to it yeah oh uh, you know, the singer of Parkway Drive has literally Instagram has put an Instagram <laughs> yeah. up of this new record. You know, Matt from <clears throat> Trivium Trivium. <laughs> that I can never fucking say the right it's way. Definitely Trivium. <laughs> um, I felt like the first for the first time we'd pushed into this realm of receiving props from like these big metal and rock and hardcore acts, and yeah. I was, I, that really blew my mind. And I can't imagine how much it must have blown the band's mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. like that's so cool to me. That was so cool. And it all started, of course, from the stream on the independent that you got. Uh, yeah, right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. whoever whoever did uh, that is uh, was that Luke Morton? No, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Wouldn't have been him. Um, <laughs> guys, thank you so much for uh, giving me so much time on a on a rainy Wednesday. No it is Wednesday, isn't it? Wednesday yeah, night. Wednesday, yeah. um, I feel like I should do a bunch of shout outs and bits and pieces. So there is a Holy Raw um, subscription club you can join if you're interested. It's twenty pounds for the vinyl, fifteen yep. for the CD. Amazing. And so you can get for digital if you tell for digital if you don't all that so you can actually cancel at any time you can cancel at any time but only quitters cancel (laughs) literally (laughs) that's the motto and you basically you get a record a month yep plus you get a bunch of like extra cool stuff like that jord uh instrumental thing that we were talking about we try and throw in as many bonuses as we can yeah and Um, then uh the the vinyl subscribers get their own vinyl color on each release as well yeah and you get a discount on 
merch and stuff on Bandcamp yeah. as well. So that is a super cool thing to be a part of. I am a member, I have to yeah. say, and have been for about a year or so, something yeah. along those lines. A veteran. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. But you can, so you can keep up to date that way. Um, obviously, all the other usual ways in terms of website and Twitter handles and all that kind of thing. Which yeah, is, it's just, just search Holy Raw Records. Records. But make sure you put records in the end because some crazy christian guy has released an album called holy raw it's now. a book yeah it's a book oh and a book yeah is there an be... album as well <laughs> probably we get tagged in... what's his name christy tomlin or something yeah something like that we, get, we, we, follow, we, get... we follow our tags, we get tags obviously in. right so we see their stuff as right well, right right or holy they raw. tag us like they'll <laughs> at us by accident and stuff and it's like it's oh quite interesting God. have you thought about compost. i mean if he does a does a side project like a grindcore band or something you maybe release that. go and check it out it's pretty <laughs> unlikely yeah it might be put off us, yeah. I think. um there's also the holy raw podcast you can check out which is now being presented by paul from ohms that's yep. correct yep. isn't it so you can check that out as well but obviously listen to riot act first um and yeah thank you very much for your time guys it's well, been thank awesome thank you it's been a pleasure. <laughs> cheers guys thanks